Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis. A couple of weeks ago, I looked at Abraham and we uh, talked about some of his faith and where some of his, maybe his understanding of uh, truth and his God, how he would have received that coming down through uh, generations that vastly overlapped and the fact that Noah and Shem would have been here during this time and, and what all he would have learned and, and picked up from those ancients we don't know. And we looked a little bit at his beginnings and what God called him to do. This morning I want to look at a couple of his decisions that he made, not all of his decisions, and see what we can learn from that. It really won't do us any good to look at this unless we see what we can learn and how can we apply what we learn is the question. So turn with me to chapter, um, we're going to start out chapter 12 where we left off the last time with Abraham and I'll probably call him Abraham most of the time in the reading at this uh, part of his life he was still called Abram but uh, so if I switch back and forth a little it's because it's in the reading and I'm accustomed to calling him Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10, and right prior to this is when he had some of these promises and uh, he had called upon the name of the Lord, he had built an altar, and in verse 9 it says, and Abram journeyed going still toward the south. Now we're not sure exactly what time span we have here, but it says in verse 10, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but that they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, you'll notice here that, first of all, they travel down into Egypt, and on the way there, although we're going to see in another passage that it really wasn't on the way here that Abraham decided to use deception while he got there. He had decided this a long time before this. But he decides he's going to Egypt, and because there's a famine, and we don't know how long it was before, while they were in Canaan until they headed down to Egypt. It was obviously uh, no food around, hadn't rained apparently, or something was going on, and they needed to go find food. And so they go down there. And on the way down there, he, he tells his wife, and he encourages her to also be deceptive. Now, I did find one thing interesting about this passage, and I, if this would be something regarding men, I would probably ask all the men say 65 and older to stand, but I won't do that for the ladies. But think about this, ladies. Uh, She was at least 65 here, probably older than that, because she was 65 when they headed out of Heron and headed down into Canaan. So she was in her upper 60s, and Abraham was concerned that she was so beautiful yet that she got down there and the, the chief people in Egypt we're going to want her to be their wife. Now that should give uh, ladies hope as you grow older. But 
What's interesting is we're going to look at the, another story, and she's much older even then. Similar thing happens. Now, we could say, well, maybe Abraham was just a little bit um, conceited. He just thought his wife was so beautiful and so forth. But you know what? When they get down there, it's exactly what happens. <clears throat> so she must have been a very beautiful woman. And they get down to Egypt, and, this, and that's what happens. But I want you to notice a few things in, this, in, in verses 12 and 13, because this has to do with what caused him to make these decisions. Look at who he was thinking about. In verse 12 it says, They shall see thee, and they will kill me. <clears throat> Who's he worried about here? Himself or his wife? They'll see thee, they'll kill me, and they'll save thee, it says. So, he says, if we say it's my sister, then it will be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Is that sometimes the way we make decisions? We're more concerned about me than thee, in other words. In other words, he... He put his wife, really, in a very bad place to what? Save himself, to save his own hide. He was like, you, you, whatever happens to you here in this setting, but at least I'll be safe. It'll, it'll take care of me. That's, I'm sure for you ladies and you young ladies, that's, that's the kind of husband you want to find, isn't it? It's the one that will put you in great peril just to save himself. But men, we need to be careful about those kinds of things. What do we sometimes do that maybe puts our wives, our children, or someone else in in danger, whether it's, it may not be physical danger, it may not be the kind of danger that was going on here, but it could be spiritual danger. In other words, we put someone else in spiritual danger just because of something we want or something we want to do. And so that's what happened. Well, they get down there, and let's continue reading in, in verse 14. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why, hast thou not, why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. It seems as though... Uh, you might say, well, you know, he, uh, one of the things that happened while he was in Egypt is he accumulated a lot of wealth. Uh, he was given all these gifts, apparently, because of his sister, and he wanted uh, 
make him happy, so they give him all these gifts, and that probably felt good. And he takes all these things with him when he leaves, apparently, and he's very wealthy. And he takes a lot, and out they go, and they go back to the place where they started, and he worships God. Now let's look at another place where he does the same thing. Turn to Genesis chapter 20. Now at this point, she is probably at least 20 years older than she was before. And the same thing happens again. We'll start reading at uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gear. And Abram said unto Sarah his wife, um, uh, Abram said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gear, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, it's interesting that in this case that uh, God was looking out to make sure that uh, Sarah had no relationships with these other men. And I believe that was because you have here the lineage of Christ coming through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promised land and on down through. And God was seeing to it that there was no way to mar that lineage or distort that in any way. And so God actually intervenes here and comes to this guy and gives him a dream. And, and his reaction is, wait a minute, will you kill an innocent person? I didn't do, I didn't know. I, he, said, he said she was his sister and, and she said he was her brother. And I was innocent. And God says, I understand that. But he also says that Abram was a prophet, and he'll pray for you, and things will be okay. But it's kind of interesting as you go through. Let's go down about verse 11. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Now there he had made an assumption about what these people were like and what they were going to do. And they will slay me for my wife's sake. It's back to protecting himself. You would have thought he would have learned by now. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So he was telling a half-truth, but he was being deceptive. says, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to... Now notice verse 13 here. Uh, This is the planned deception here. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her... This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whether we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. So, this was not something that had just come up when he was down in Egypt uh, 20-some years before. This was not something just happened here. And I don't know, it may have happened even more times than the Scripture records. Because he says, when we left, when we first left here, and when we headed out, when God said... Leave thy family and go. They start leaving and and he starts worrying. And he starts forgetting about the provisions that God has made for him. And and suddenly he says, look, you know, any place we go, there's a good chance they're going to kill me to get you. So any place we go, you just tell them you're you're my sister. And I'll just tell them I'm your brother. And we'll kind of tell this little half-truth wherever we go. Now what's interesting about this 
is you'll see here that um, this is this story with Abimelech here happened after uh, the similar story in Egypt that we just looked at. It happened after the rescue of Lot, which we'll talk about here in a moment. It also happened after the covenant in, in uh, chapter 15, which is a very interesting covenant that happens, that, that he meets God there in an amazing way. It happens after the child with Hagar, which was a mistake that he had made. It's after the covenant that God made with him for, uh, regarding circumcision. And it's after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we might think, well, didn't he learn anything from any of those experiences? God was with him in all those things. Remember in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah how he actually he talked with God and said, oh, now wait a minute, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if they worked it all the way down to 10? And he had had these kind of conversations with God, and yet he comes to this point, and he's like, He's lying again about who his sister is to protect himself. Now be thinking about this as we go through this message. What can I learn from this? What can you learn from it? Not how, how long did it take Abraham to learn, but what can I learn from it? What motivated his decisions? Um, first of all, his personal safety. Do you ever make decisions uh, and maybe deceive someone based on your personal safety, whether it's your physical safety or your uh, emotional safety, where you try to deceive other people uh, because of that. He looked at his own life as being more important than the lives of others. Do we ever do that? Sometimes it's interesting when you uh, hear stories about people who literally put their lives in harm's way and maybe even lose their life to save someone else. And I don't know, I've never been in a situation quite like that where you actually try to to save someone else by putting yourself in, in harm's way to where you could actually be killed. But Abraham wasn't quite up to that task. I still remember, uh, and this shows you a little bit my age, and, but it shows you my age in two ways because I can't remember the guy's name, but I can remember seeing all about it. When uh, Reagan was shot, and uh, some of you younger ones maybe don't even know he was, but, uh, he, uh, but the one Secret Service agent or whoever was with him uh, basically dove in front of him and took a bullet to save the president. That's what they're taught to do. Uh, Just got right in front of him and at the expense of his own life. Would I do something like that for someone? Would I do something like that for someone physically or emotionally or spiritually? Would I put myself, do I really care more about others than myself? It also shows a lack of faith and trust in God, whether we like it or not. Abraham wavered in these decisions where he chose to deceive rather than to just tell the truth. And I would say this one here probably uh, hits home for a lot of us, and that is the fact that he, his failure to see God's previous provisions in other ways. And 
You know, we've had just recently here a couple of uh, stories that have been shared right here that, of how God worked things out, miracles and different things. And, and we all have heard those. Maybe we weren't right there when it happened or right there where we saw it, but uh, six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now, will we be in a situation where we, we totally forget about those things? And we'd rather maybe lie our way through or deceive our way through or whatever it takes because we forget. You know what? God can work this out. God can take care of it. God can make it happen. Now, you might also say, well, but now wait a minute. Abraham's also been living for a long time with a promise that God made him about a son. And this hasn't happened. And maybe that's what the problem is. I don't know if that played a part in some of his lack of trust at times or not. But yet it seems that he, something failed here a little bit. He forgot God's previous provisions in his life. Now I want to switch a little bit and let's look at another side of Abraham in these early parts of his life here. And that is an unselfish giver. We looked at him as being a deceiver. Let's look at another aspect where he is very unselfish. And let's go take a look at Genesis 13 and 14. And maybe we can see what motivates uh, his choices here as we look at this. So in chapter 13, it says, And Abram went up out of Egypt. Well, let's, let's jump down. We read part of that. Let's jump down to verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled, in, uh, dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right and if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest out of Zoar. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent, came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Again, he builds an altar to worship the Lord. So, what motivated Abram to make these choices? Well, I think... It shows something about his character. He did not want strife between uh, his and the family. Didn't want strife in the family. So he gave the choices to the younger, which was not generally the case. Often the elder 
The leader would have said, well, I'm taking this and you get that. And I understand that there are still some places around the Jericho area, I believe, where they're still well watered and so forth. But if you get down around Sodom and Gomorrah, and I know it's interesting how it says before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You go to that area today and you look around and you're thinking, what was here that Lot saw that isn't here today? There are areas where there is nothing growing. It's just, there's nothing. But apparently at that time it was beautiful. And so Abram tells his nephew, he said, tell you what, you look and you choose. And I wonder, I was thinking about this, I wonder how many family strifes could be helped today if everyone in the family had that attitude. You choose, I won't worry about it, you, you pick, you go ahead. Well, Lot looked down there and he saw all that beautiful land and all the grass growing and he thought about his herds and he thought about that. And that's where he went, but he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And we're not getting into that story right now, but it says that the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly before the Lord. As I look at that, it almost makes you wonder if, if it would have been better if Abram would have said, you know what, Lot, you'd be better off if you go out there in the hill country and I'll go down here because I can withstand the temptations better. But could he have? I don't know. We don't know that. It was a wicked place, and it cost Lot his family. And a terrible story there. But that was one of the things that I believe motivated him. Another one was uh, that God, uh, after this, renews his promise to Abram. He again assures him that, you know what? There will be a great nation, and they will be in this land, and it will be theirs forever. Now, if we go on to chapter 14, we're going to see the rescue of of Lot here. And there were some kings in this area that were confederate, which means they worked together. They they kind of helped each other uh, protect themselves and their cities and so forth. And there were some who rebelled, and this caused quite a stir. And it caused a problem. But there's something I'd like for you to note in verse 12. It says, and this is when they came and they took everything out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in verse 13, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they took all their victuals, and they went their way. But verse 12, I think, is the only reason we know anything about this whole story. This is actually, I believe, the first recorded battle or war as far as nations that's recorded in the Bible. There may have been others, but God didn't see to it that to even mention it. But notice what it says in verse 12. This was their mistake. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son. That was the mistake they made. They could have taken everything else. I think they could have cleaned that place out. They could have taken a whole works and left Lot and his family and his goods there, and, and we wouldn't probably even know about this story. We might, but it would have a, probably a different ending. But they took Lot. And this tells you something about Abram and his unselfish giving and caring for other people. 
You weren't going to take his family and do harm to them. Even though Abram could have said, well, you know what? That's what he gets. He wanted that area down there. And look what happened. Look what happened. Or, you know what? You nestle up with a bunch of wicked people like that, and something happens, and well, you just got what you deserve. Do we ever, do we ever react that way? Someone gets in trouble, and, and maybe it's someone who we had warned. Maybe it's someone we had talked to. Maybe it's someone who, who we had prayed for, and they get in trouble, and then it's like, huh, well, that'll teach them. I could have told them something like this was going to happen. That's God's way of getting them, you know. God will get them. That wasn't what Abram did. Starting at verse 13 here, it says, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for, the, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, and the Amorite, brother of Eschol, the brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. So Abram had some uh, neighbors that were friends too, and they must have had some armies. But what's interesting in verse 14, it says, When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, it actually calls him his brother here, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods... Notice, and then what it says, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Now, I thought about spending some time on these next few verses. I'm just going to read them, and then maybe I'll spend some more time on it at another point. In the meantime, you maybe be thinking about and studying a little bit who this next character uh, is, and and. And what, yeah, who he was and how he fits in. And it says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him after the return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is in the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, we believe probably Jerusalem, Salem, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, being Abraham, gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God and possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, that I, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Anner, Eschol, Mamre, let them take their portion." So he didn't want to take anything. Uh, But notice, after the rescue here, he does not keep the spoil, but he gives to God. And it says that he gave tithes of all. 
And I don't know if that was the tithes. It doesn't appear that it was tithes of, what, of the spoil. It may have been. But it may have been tithes of all of his own possessions that he had even before he went there to Melchizedek, this king of Salem. Now, what's the difference here in the motives from when we see him as being somewhat of a deceiver to this giver? Well, first of all, he began... In these cases, he was looking out for other people's interests. Remember, with, when he was being deceptive, he was looking out for his own interest. And when he begins helping others, he's looking out for their interest. Again, there's something, I think, very foundational we can learn from that. When we look out for our own interest, we're more tempted to be deceptive. When we look out for other people's interest, uh, we're out helping them. We don't have time, maybe, to be deceptive. He put other people's needs before his own. Now, I, I mentioned at the beginning that we need to think about what can we learn from a couple of these stories and Abram's decisions to either deceive or to help. What can we learn from that? First of all, uh, notice that when they first went into Egypt... I would have said they were living in victory. They had left uh, Haran, and they went to the promised land. They were in the promised land, and there they were, living uh, where God had called them to live. Temptations come even when we're living in the promised land. As Christians, there's a sense in which, and you could say, well, the promised land is heaven, and we're just not quite there yet. We're still in, well... What I want to say, though, is we're, we're living, if we're living Christian lives, there's a sense in which we're in the promised land from the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have a brotherhood, and we have the scriptures, and we have the Lord wanting to lead us and direct us. So no temptations, right? Everything's just going to be fine, smooth sailing. doesn't work that way. No, temptations come even when we're living in the promised land. And sometimes those temptations Maybe a feeling that we have no hope for a situation. A situation comes up and we see no hope. Apparently, I have a feeling Abram looked around him and he looked at his family, however many there were at that time, and he looked at his cattle or whatever he had, and he, he looked at the famine that was in the land and he saw no hope. He forgot to look to God, I believe, but he went to Egypt instead. In this particular case, it was a physical problem, but it could be a lot of other problems. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 31. Isaiah chapter 31, somewhat of a warning. And we'll look at the first verse here. He says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay, or my Bible makes a note here, or depend. Depend on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. When we get into a tough time, we don't need to do what uh, Abram did. 
and went down to Egypt. Now you might say, now wait a minute, hold on. He went to Egypt, look, he left with a bunch of extra wealth. What about the Israelites when they were spent 400 years there? And look, they left with all, all the stuff they left with and how God worked. And so God wanted them to go to Egypt. And I didn't necessarily find any verses. I didn't really study that far one way or another. Did, did, God, did God say they were going to be in Egypt because he was foretelling what was going to happen or because he was causing it to happen? Could God have worked that out without making them go to Egypt? I don't know, but I think he could have. They could have still become a great nation and stayed right in their land. God did allow them to go to Egypt, and God used that, and God used that growth, and God used taking the wealth out of there, and he used the whole thing of the Passover and all of this. It all works out as foreshadows and so forth. But the fact is, and here Isaiah is saying, don't run off to Egypt to get your help. No, not, not so. Look to the Holy One of Israel and seek the Lord. So when you get into a tough situation and you think there's no hope, don't run off to Egypt, if you will. Don't go looking somewhere else because likely if you do, you're going to get into temptations and you're going to get into situations that you won't get into if you look to God for your strength and your help. You run off to the world for your help and you're going to find yourself in situations where your temptations will probably be greater than you can handle and you won't understand and you'll end up doing like, Abram did, where he, I believe, sinned with his deception in Egypt. There's a couple other things about we can learn from this. His deception in Egypt was a poor testimony to his nephew Lot. Do you think Lot would have learned better if they would have, if he would have said, you know what? We don't know where we're going to get our substance, but We're going to stay here, we're going to pray, we're going to see what God does. Or even if they had went to Egypt, Peter says, you know what, nephew, I want to tell you something. We get down there and there's a good chance, because your aunt is so beautiful, there's a good chance they might kill me so they can marry her. But I'm going to depend on God. But if that happens, Lot, I want you to care for her, I want you to do what you can, or just serve God no matter what. But his, he taught Lot some things there, I believe. And if you look at Abram's children, this isn't the only story in the scriptures where somebody says, well, she's my sister. His descendants learned from that. And I mentioned about going into Egypt and, and uh, saying, well, he brought out some wealth. Who was Hagar? She was an Egyptian, wasn't she? Remember when he left, he took men's servants and maid servants. If he'd have stayed out of Egypt, and this may sound terrible, but how different would the world look today? See, his, his lack of dependence on God in that situation brought something or someone into his life, not her fault, but brought someone into his life that down the road a number of years later allowed for another mistake 
drastic mistake that he made, where again, he was not depending on God and God's promises. He failed again in his trust and his faith in God. And yet, if you remember right, in his first message on Abraham, that's called him the, the father of faith, right? And you look at, uh, you look at the scriptures, and that's, that's who he was. He was a man of faith, great faith. What should that tell us? If Abraham could fail in these ways and allow these things to come into his life where he made bad decisions, even though he was a man who, who obviously cared about other people. We can see that from those other stories. And he, he even put his own neck on the line to save his nephew. And yet he made some of these mistakes. But his going into Egypt not only gave a bad testimony to Pharaoh, to his nephew, to his family, to his children. They, they certainly heard these stories. But he brought back Hagar. So what can we learn from this, really? And I thought about this. The two great commandments come into play in this whole story. One, that we love God. And you know what? He did worship God. We see he built altars. He worshiped God. And he gave tithes. And also that we love our neighbor. He gave Lot his choice, and he rescued him the possibility of his own peril. And if that would be the whole story, how great it would be. If, if, if those two commandments would have been kept in play the whole time, a lot of things would be different. But they weren't. And I, I want us to stop and think about that in our own lives. Again, we can look at this story all we want. We can look at Abraham. But if we don't learn anything in our own lives, it, it's kind of a futile exercise, really. So, do we love God enough with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, our strength and everything that we'll not only worship Him and we'll not only give to Him, here Abram, give tithes, but we would say give of Him of our, our whatever we have, physical things that we could give, but that we also not just worship and give to Him, but we also Honor him enough that even in a tough time, in a tough situation, we'll take the high road even if it means the possibility of losing our own life for it. And then when it comes to loving others as ourselves, are we willing in this situation like there with his nephew say, you know what? You pick, you choose. You go ahead and take whichever you want. It's fine. I'll take the other. And then when somebody gets into trouble, even someone that maybe we could have said, yeah, I saw that coming, and we'll risk our own neck. And when I say our own neck, maybe, it's, maybe we'll risk our own reputation to try to help someone in, that, that needs it, or however it might be, that we would risk our, ourselves to, to help someone else. Why? Because we love our neighbor as ourself. And we love God with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think we see that with, with Abraham. I believe he did love God, but he made those mistakes. And, and what did he do with it? Well, as we look at some more stories of Abraham here and some more messages coming up, we'll see that, yes, he made some bad choices. He made some mistakes, but he continued to serve God. And this morning, if, 
if you thought about some of these things, it's like, wow, that's, that was me in this situation, or boy, right now, I, I just feel like there's a famine in the land, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and I've already failed. You know, look up. Continue to serve God, because God wants those people that continue to get back up and serve Him and love Him and follow Him and love others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the example of Abraham and the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that he was a faithful follower of you. And Lord, I just thank you that he served you and that um, you were able to use him even through some of his mistakes and his bad choices, and yet you still honored him and honor those who honor his descendants. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a heart that would want to serve others and want to serve you and Lord, that we would be willing to risk ourselves at times for others, whatever it is that you call us to do. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us now as a brotherhood. We ask that you would uh, just show us wisdom as we go from day to day, as we interact with people around us. Help us to be witnesses for you, Lord, and help us to be honest and honorable people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.